Good morning. Today's scripture is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 21. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed to the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, Mercy Hill Church. My name is Brad. I'm one of the elders here, the lead pastor If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you. Before we jump into the scriptures this morning, I want you to stop and think for just a moment where you've seen evidence of God's grace in this last week. We want to have times at Mercy Hill where we're able to celebrate, and yes, through corporate singing, but we also want to engage in celebrating how we hear God is at work in others' lives and in our own life. So that this is something that we don't just show up to to attend, but that we're actually participating in. And so maybe something that's seemingly small or a huge answer to prayer, but just we're in a small room. Just shout out how you've seen evidence of God's grace in this last week. That's great, Paul. Thank you for sharing. Somebody else? Simple as what? Simple as rain when I was dying. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. Some of you guys know TJ had a uh, really bad car wreck. Um, probably shouldn't be alive, and, and he's doing pretty well. Oh, yeah. I know Dallas. That's great. Yeah, seeing little ones coming to know Jesus, that's amazing. Anyone else? It's great when God sends family through the church to minister. That's encouraging. Leslie? Come on. That's awesome. And it's evidence of God's grace just to see uh, Jeff here this morning. We're thankful for God's healing in his life. And he's waiting to hear back from a final MRI to see if he can um, stop all his antibiotics. And uh, we're really, really grateful for God's healing in your life. 
Well, I just want us to get our minds headed down that track of thanksgiving this morning. Um, The very opening scripture in our call to worship spoke of being thankful. And that's the track that Paul's going to run on and leave us with. Um, We are studying the book of Ephesians, and we're in a section on holy living. Uh, We're in verses where today we're going to unpack this big idea. Living under the influence of the Holy Spirit redeems the time and produces heartfelt joy. Living under the influence of the Holy Spirit it redeems the time and produces heartfelt joy. We live in a world that's always fighting for our attention. Statistics say that millennials will pick up their cell phones 150 times a day. And that's described as technology addiction. It's labeled as technology addiction, but it's become the norm. Technology affects us so much, it even affects us and gains our attention when we aren't awake. If you were born and grew up in a home before 1953 with a black and white TV, you most likely dream in black and white. If you grew up in a home in the world of Technicolor after 1953, you most likely dream in color. Isn't that interesting how technology affects us? Technology even affects us when it's not trying to affect us. Our cell phones, there's something that is known as phantom vibration syndrome. And the majority of cell phone users report the perception that their cell phone is vibrating in their back pocket when come to find out, oh, there's nothing there. Technology is even affecting us when it's not trying to affect us. Our attention spans have dropped because of 10 minute or less videos. Our attention spans have dropped from generally around 12 minutes to about five. And if you look at the scan of a brain from someone who's dealing with uh, overuse of technology, if you, if you look at their brains and their chemistry and their neuropatterning, Their brain scans are similar to that of an alcoholic or a cocaine user or someone who's addicted to cannabis. It's really interesting to see how technology is affecting us. There's no doubt that it's changing our lives. But tech is only one of the ways that the world fights for our time and for our attention. All around us, there are distractions And in today's text, Paul is going to make the case that the world, he describes it as evil. And he says that we need to be wise in how we live, particularly in the way we use our time. So here's a spoiler alert. He's going to concentrate on two primary ways that we can be wise in the way we use our time. The first is knowing the will of the Lord. And the second is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Knowing the will of the Lord and being filled with the Holy Spirit. So today, I want to concentrate on verses 15 through 21. Um, But we're in a section where Paul, if you remember last week, we said Paul was going to say, stop doing some things and then start doing some things. And last week, we only got to what he said to stop 
doing. And so I would like to back up to verse 8 and read through verse 14 just to kind of get us headed down this path that Paul says there's some things that we need to start. Look with me in verse 8. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. And try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says... Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul's main concern in this set of verses is that we walk in the light. Anybody having flashbacks? DC Talk, 1995? You with me? Yeah? Some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about. If you were a card-carrying Christian back in 1995, you had the Jesus Freak album. You know what I'm talking about? And DC Talk had this song called In the Light. And it was like, I want to be in the light as you are in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heaven. Oh, Lord, be my light and be my salvation because all I want is to be in the light. And you can thank me for that later because that'll be stuck in your head the rest of the day. You can go dig out your jars of clay CDs along with your audio adrenaline and your small town poets. Some of you guys are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And you're much better off. You're much better off, okay? Um, so, Paul's saying, walk in the light. And in verses 15 through 21, he's actually going to tell us how to do that. It's pretty good. So, let's look. In verse 15, he tells us how to walk in the light, how to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. There's three questions I want to introduce today that will help us come to understand how to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The first is this. We find it in verses 15 and 16. Does Jesus have access to all of your life on a daily basis? Does Jesus have access to all of your life on a daily basis? Look at what Paul says, verses 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. You could also say redeeming the time because the days are evil. We live in a world where time is toxic. Because when we think about time, we are caught up in endless hurry. We live in a society that's always wanting more. More what? More of everything We never have enough time. We're rarely satisfied. We're always looking for what's next. And one of the biggest phenomenas about social media that it has brought into our worlds is we're scared on missing out. We have incredible anxiety that wells up in our hearts all because we're seeing what other people are doing They're having so much fun and we're scared that we're going to miss out because we all know that what we see on Facebook and on Snapchat and on Instagram is reality. Just want to make sure we're all on the same page, right? Like that's reality and so we're missing out. 
It's really interesting when it comes to time. We know how to pass the time because we live in worlds that are endlessly noisy. I mean, we, for, most, for the most part, we despise the quiet. Like we turn on the radio, we do whatever it takes to stay busy. So we know how to pass the time and we sure enough know how to kill or waste some time. Like technology's helped us with that. You know, whether it's TV, video games, internet. But we even know how to use our time because doggone it as Americans, we will work hard and we will go earn some degrees. Like we, we may not know what to do with those degrees, but we're going to get them. Like we know how to work hard and how to use our time and how to, how to climb a corporate ladder. But the gospel teaches us how to redeem the time. Not how to pass the time or waste the time or use time, but how to redeem the time. Paul's calling us to have wisdom in the way that we spend our time. Now, time's a really funny thing because we all have the same amount. You wouldn't know it talking with some people because it seems as if some people are out of time. But we all have the same amount. 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day, 168 hours in a week. We all have the same amount of time No more, no less, but we think about it in different ways. I'll prove it to you. Got a little song I want to play for you. Might sound familiar. It talks a little bit about time. Anybody recognize this? I had to bring another 1995 song out. So, Time, why you punish me? Can you hear it? Time while you walk away. Like a friend with somewhere to go. You left me crying. I knew you'd be disappointed if I didn't let that riff play. <clears throat> All right. So Darius Rucker has some things to say about time. But it seems as if he sees time in a very negative way. Oh, listen to that song. It is so depressing. I have no idea why we loved it back in the 90s. Like, we loved that song. We couldn't listen to it enough. He says, time, why do you walk away? He says, like, you're like a wave on the shore. You wash away my dreams. Time, he says, you're like a friend who walks away with somewhere to go. You leave me crying. Think about tomorrow with all the pain and sorrow running free, but tomorrow is just another day, and I don't believe in time. He sees, he sees time as something that's elusive, almost like happiness, almost like the sands on the seashore, and he just can't hold on to it, and his happiness in his time is always running away. But the gospel is very different in the way that the gospel calls us to think about our time because Paul is saying here that the gospel actually redeems all things, even our time. Now, some of you guys need to hear that because it sounds good, but you don't believe it. 
When the gospel redeems all things, even our time, what that means is that God is so powerful that God looks at our lives and when he redeems us, he says, no part of your life will be wasted. Like none. What you meant for evil and what Satan meant for evil, I will use for good. There may be huge consequences to the sin and the distrust and the decisions that you've made in your life. But even in the midst of those terrible consequences and that terrible pain, God looks at it and says, I'm so powerful, I will even bring good from evil. I will redeem what's taking place in your life. In the past, today, and in the future, God will redeem all things. The gospel gives us the ability to glorify God with all of our time. And so what that means is that we don't have to stay focused on the past. I mean, one of my favorite examples of someone who was lost in the past comes from the movie Napoleon Dynamite. Do you guys remember Uncle Rico? I mean, I have never seen a character that is so lost in the past as this man in his mid-40s who still dreams of being 18 years old, not playing high school football. I mean, I bet I could throw the football on a mountain right there. Like, he is, he is just locked into the past and cannot escape it. Dreaming of one day where he's going to make it. The gospel says that we don't have to be so focused on the past. The gospel also says that we don't have to disdain the present and simply long for the future. Because some of us are like, I will be happy and I will be thankful and God will be good when. But it's not today. And the gospel tells us that we can be certain of the future and allow Christ's return in his certain restoration to transform the way we live today, to redeem our time. The kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is at hand. I want to encourage you to begin praying over your time. Years ago, someone gave me this challenge. During your morning devotions, when you read scripture and pray, pull up your calendar and pray through your calendar. Pray about who you will spend time with this week. Pray about who you should schedule appointments with. Pray about all the things that you have listed that are tasks or goals or priorities. How many of those are your priorities and how many of them are the Lord? Are you doing enough? Are you trying to do too much? Pray through your calendar. Pray about the individuals who don't yet know Jesus. Are they in your calendar? Are you planning to spend any time with them this week? Even just praying for them. Have you scheduled that? Now some of you may say, you know, I I hear you saying that, but I don't have that kind of time. Like I go to work, I clock in, I clock out. Like there's someone else who's in charge of my time. But we all have time. We all have some type of flexibility. It might be as small as choosing where you're going to eat lunch. Am I going to eat lunch in the break room with other individuals? Or am I going to go and eat lunch in my car all along? Am I going to after work, how am I going to use my time? Or am I going to go home every evening and engage with all those real people on the screen in front of me? Or am I going to actually choose a night and engage in relationship with some folks that I can both share love, give love, How do you use your time 
really encourage you to pray through your calendar. Make that a daily rhythm in your life. We can either see these moments in our lives. We can either see them as opportunities or as obligations. Let me say that again. All these moments that we're talking about, we can either see them as opportunities or we can see them as obligations. And how we see them will likely determine whether or not you redeem the time or whether you just merely watch it pass on by. Ephesians 2, chapter 20, I want to remind us of what that scripture has to say because it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared in advance that we would walk in them. We're his workmanship. It's that Greek word poema that we talked about, which means a mosaic or masterpiece. That's who we are to God. And he has created works that we would walk in, which means when it comes to our time, that God is more concerned with leading us and with showing us his desires and how he wants his spirit to influence. He's more concerned than we are because he's already got some ideas about how we should use our time. Jesus has called every one of us who follow him to be disciple makers beginning with self-leadership. There's people in our family that we can lead. Then there's people at work and our neighbors that we can share our time with. And that means recognizing that we are all leaders and that we all matter to the kingdom of God. Having a, a correct view of ourselves, that God has made me and crafted me and created me in such a way that he wants to use me for something unique. It actually fits well with the individual mindset that we have in America. It's true. He does. He wants to use you in a way that he can't use other individuals. And he's prepared works ahead of time that you would walk in. So what Paul's saying here is that both you as an individual and we as a church, your missional community, our church family, we should take every chance to serve Christ in the light and see it as an opportunity, not as an obligation. Whether that's teaching kids on Sunday morning, some of these kids are going to come to know Jesus. Do you want to see Sunday morning when you're teaching them about Jesus as an obligation or is it an opportunity that we would walk in the light with our coworkers? We'd care enough about them that we'd share with them about Jesus, invite them to a Sunday gathering, invite them to a Halloween party this week, that we would be in relationship with those who don't yet know Jesus. Which brings us to Paul's next question in verses 17 and 18. If we're going to be people who are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit guiding your decision-making on a daily basis? Is the Spirit guiding your decision-making on a daily basis? In verse 17, Paul says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's no big deal. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. When it comes to understanding the will of the Lord, I want to use a couple of terms that we don't see in Scripture, but that theologians have coined that help us to gain an understanding on the Lord's will, at least a little bit. Not that we'll ever understand the Lord's will, but that we could begin the process of at least talking about it. The will of the Lord 
um, when, when we think of the Lord's will, uh, I want to use the, the terms God's revealed will and his specific will. So the more we come to understand the revealed will of God, the more we come to clearly discern the specific will of God. Let me go on to try to describe to you what I mean by that. The revealed will of God or the general will of God are the things that are obvious to us. Things like know God, read his word, spend time in prayer, work hard, love your spouse, serve your kids, be generous, help others, be holy, live in community, be accountable to others, confess sin, flee immorality, Share the gospel. Make disciples. I think we would, most of us would all agree that that's the general revealed will of God. We get that. Now, when it comes to the specific or the particulars of that, what particular job should I take? Should I marry this person or not? How should I spend my time? What hobbies should I have? How many kids should I have? When should I have kids? Who should I date? How should I spend my money? Which house should I buy? What part of town? I think we'd all acknowledge, okay, this is getting a little tougher. This isn't quite the obvious of the first set. So when we think about the specific will or the particulars, when Paul says, know the will of the Lord, it can get really complicated, but it doesn't have to. I think when we get in trouble, particularly as Americans, is when we begin with a place of greater emphasis on the specific will of God than on the general revealed will of God. I'll give you an example. Talk with people all the time. I just don't know if I should marry him or not. I'm really struggling. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Tell me about this person. Do they love Jesus? You know, they believe in God. Hmm. Don't the demons? Um, do they love Jesus? Well, they're not, I mean, they don't mind if I attend church. I've never seen this person at a Sunday gathering with you. Do they love Jesus? Well, I'm just so in love with them. See, at that point in time, you've started with the specific will of God and you've missed the whole point. That's simple. That's child's play. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Don't be unequally yoked. Why? Because I can show you the hard statistics. Divorce is much more likely when you marry someone else who doesn't agree with your religion. You're at odds with the thing that is supposed to be the most important thing in all your life. And you're starting. That's your foundation. Don't be unequally yoked. I just don't know. I really love them though. Do you see how when you begin with the specific will of God instead of the revealed will of God, how you get things all out of order? And here's what you're going to come to find. When you say, I'm just really struggling with this decision, this this specific decision about God's particular will, the more that you come to look at these specific decisions of God's particular will, the more you come to see that they really reflect God's revealed will about things in general. So some ideas to help you. I mean, does the Bible have anything to say about how we should live when we use our money? Yeah. It's got some things to say. 
And so when you get ready to buy a house, do you leverage everything? And do you throw everything in that basket of like, I've got to get the biggest house and the best place? Or does the Bible have some things to say about building really big barns? It does. It's got a really important story that if you don't know it, you ought to look that one up this afternoon and read it. Because it ends by saying your life might be demanded of you today. And the person who was building that big house was not ready to see Jesus. The Bible has a lot to say about our lives. Look at Proverbs. So many different things that are truths and wisdom that are, that are Proverbs or principles for us. And, and that's what we generally do. When we get ready to make a decision, we're usually looking for a principle. Now, one of the problems with Proverbs is they're great principles, but we have to have wisdom to know how to use them, how, how, to, how to read them into our lives. And so that's why it's so important that we look not just at what's going on in our own heart, but we realize we can't see ourselves clearly. And so to look at also our circumstances, but then to pray and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts and to open ourselves up to community and say, hey, what, what do I need to know about this particular circumstance or situation or big decision I'm trying to make? What do I need to know that you see that maybe I don't see? That's just called submitting to people who are around us. And we need other people's perspective. But in the midst of discerning the will of the Lord, we have something even better. We have a person. His name is Jesus. Here's a defining question in discerning God's specific will. If you're struggling and knowing what's the will of the Lord in a particular circumstance or situation, here's a defining question. Is Jesus the motivation for my living on a daily basis. So you think about, hey, should we have kids? Should we not? Should, should we buy this house? Should we not? Uh, should I take this job? Should I not? Is Jesus the motivation for my living on a daily basis? In other words, how does this have a kingdom impact both in my life, in the life of this little bitty church, but also for Memphis and for the kingdom of God? See, when you say, is Jesus the motivation for my living on a daily basis, then all of a sudden, your decision-making comes under the authority of the King of Kings, which means now you have availability to have impact as a resource and a tool for Him on the whole kingdom of God. It's incredible. We don't have time. I could give you examples. Jesus' main concern, John 17, 14, he said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He trusted his Father. He did not think conventionally he would leave the crowds. Man, Jesus could blow a crowd up in a second. Like he would have... Terrible marketing. Terrible. He was most concerned not with being efficient or effective or building the biggest brand... He was most concerned with following the will of his Father, and he knew it. He knew the will of the Lord on a daily basis. And the way that we do this is through dependence on the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it was better for him to go away so that his Spirit would be in us. He said it's better for the Spirit to be inside you than, to me, than for me to be beside you. 
And oftentimes we think, if Jesus were just here, if I could see what Jesus would do, if Jesus, no, Jesus says, I've given you something that's even better than if I showed up. I've given you my spirit who is within you. And Paul's gonna offer us, look at verse 18. He's gonna offer us a clear picture of, of what it looks like to be under the influence of the spirit. He says, do not get drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. The word debauchery literally means it's like a, a taking and a throwing to the wind and it just blows away. Paul's saying, that's the way your life is described when you're under the influence of something outside of the Holy Spirit. All your hard work, all that you're investing in and going for, he says, it's like, it's like throwing it up to the wind. Now, he gives them a crystal clear picture because in Ephesus, a few times a year, they, they held what was most likely at this time the world's largest kegger at Ephesus. When he says, don't be filled with wine, don't be drunk with wine, the festival for Dionysus or for Bacchus, the wine goddess, they would get drunk out of their minds. Excessive eating, probably some drugs involved from what we can tell, some psychedelic stuff going on from uh, some of the the paintings and some of the uh, mosaics that we have from that time. But it was a massive party. And their hope was that when they were thoroughly inebriated, that Dionysus would empower them, control them, that they would know her will and they would find happiness, that they would find fulfillment. And Paul is saying, don't be under the drunken influence of alcohol. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, that sounds easy, right? Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We've all, a lot of us have heard these verses, like, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? It sounds good. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? A couple of examples Um, from my own life. I was thinking back about this. How, How does the Spirit at work How have I seen the Spirit? A few weeks back, our missional community was studying um, a curriculum called Feasting with the Poor. And several of you guys studied that curriculum, a little four-week curriculum over the summer. And in that curriculum, there's all these incredible stories about ministry to those who are down and out, street people. Um, But in particular, the curriculum points us back to the gospel and saying, like, when we minister to those people, we're actually seeing pictures of ourselves, like we were the poor in spirit, and Jesus came to us when we were helpless. And, and so we've been talking about this, and it was a few weeks back, I, I walked out of Starbucks on a Sunday morning, and there was a homeless man who was sitting there, and, and he looked like he was not in good shape. Saw him on the way in, I thought about him while I was inside. I knew that I probably needed to go and talk to him and I didn't want to, which was my first clue that it was probably the Spirit. Like, Todd Moore has helped me with this, one of the um, guys in Soma. Todd has helped me to see that when, when you have a thought that would be pleasing and glorifying to God and you don't want to do it, it's probably the Spirit. And so I went and I talked with Arthur and uh, I got to know Arthur a little bit and I was in a hurry. I was coming here. I was behind. I had to get some stuff situated. And so I came here. I got, I got my video like uploaded. And it was about 9, 9.15. And the spirit would not let it go. And I was like, okay, God, I'm going to get back in my car. And I'm going to drive back to Starbucks. And I talked with Arthur. I knelt down. We had a conversation. We had a sausage biscuit. Um, down the road. We brought him here, gave him some clothes. He didn't want to come in. He was really dirty. Well, a 
last week on Monday, I'm walking into Starbucks and I see my socks. I mean, there's a guy who's there. I didn't really notice the guy. I just noticed my socks. I was like, those are my socks. And then I looked and under like three layers of coats and this hat pulled down was Arthur. And I walked up to him and we had a conversation. And then on Tuesday, I asked my missional community, I said, would you pray for Arthur? You might have seen him outside. You might have even talked with him that Sunday. He said he wants to come this Sunday. I don't know if he will or not. But would you pray for him that he come to know Jesus, come to know the love of the Father? On Wednesday, I'm with my boys at Walgreens, and we're walking into Walgreens, and who do you think sitting right there on the right? It's Arthur. Hey, can you give me some tuna fish? I've got a bad tooth. I can't eat anything hard. Yeah, we'll get you some tuna fish, Arthur. We come out. We talk with him. Hey, Arthur, they say you got to get out of here, man. You can't, you can't be here. So, hey, here's some stuff. God loves you. And have a chance to talk with my boys about, hey, here's why we help the poor. Here's what it has to do with Jesus. Here's what Jesus did for us. Here's how we were the poor. Thursday, it's raining. Who do you think I'm praying for? Man, I wonder where Arthur is. It's really nasty outside. I wonder if he's got a hole that he's been able to crawl up in where it's dry. I mean, I'm, I'm fully expecting to see Arthur at this point, at any point in my life. Why? Because the Spirit is moving. And like... It, After a while, it doesn't take a dummy to realize, like, if you see Arthur, you probably ought to talk with him, you know? And so I'm putting that on y'all now. If y'all see Arthur, y'all gonna be walking around, like, meeting random homeless people, like, is your name Arthur, by the way? I just need to know. Sometimes the Spirit works in ways if we will listen and act on what God is calling us to do, the things that would be glorifying to Him that we oftentimes don't wanna do. That's the Spirit. At the same time, the Spirit doesn't always move like lightning. It's not always this big deal with a homeless person and maybe a good story that we have to share. The Spirit is at work in influencing our lives on a daily basis, all the time. The Holy Spirit is leading us. But so often we lose sight of His influence. The Scriptures say that the Spirit fills us and that, that the Holy Spirit seals us at the time of salvation, that we are Christ, and He is ours, and He will not let us go. But Paul seems to be saying here that as we're filled with the Spirit, that there are some kind of variables, that like, that there is a variable in which, yeah, I am His and He is mine, but it doesn't mean I'm always under His influence, that maybe that there's a level at which I could be under his influence more sometimes and less others. And I don't know exactly how that works or what that means, but I'm thoroughly convinced it has everything to do with us and not with him. Because God wants us to have all of his spirit all the time, yet our, we make our own decisions. We go our own ways. And Paul ends this passage in sharing a powerful example of how we can seek to be filled with the Spirit daily. And here's the question that helps us to know. Do you give thanks to God in all circumstances? Do you give thanks to God in all circumstances? Because Paul ends with these words, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
each of these types of worship that we see here, they're, they're so important because each of them remind us of the truths of the gospel. Whether we're singing or quoting scripture and worshiping, I think, I think what's so important about them is we're engaging our emotions. And for the guys who say, I just, I'm just not into that singing thing. I don't know why we do the singing. I would say that you need to engage your emotions and you most likely have no idea how. When we sing songs to the Lord and we have this whole book of, of songs, this one book of psalms that are really songs and hymns and spiritual songs, what we are doing is we are, in the best way we know how, trying to get the truths that are in our head into our hearts. We'd really believe them. We'd really live in light of them. And Paul keeps coming back to this, this little simple truth of thanksgiving. But Romans 1.21 has something. I want to I end with this. Listen to Romans 1.21. I think I have it for you on the screen. No, 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 no. Go back. Not that one. Maybe I don't have it for you on the screen. So let me, you can take that one off. So let me read this for you. Romans 1.21. Listen closely. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became foolish in their thinking. Romans 121 views our failure to give thanks as the root cause of sin. I want you to hear this. Our failure to give thanks as the root cause of sin. A thankless heart leads to an ungrateful heart or a sinful heart. And at the same time, a thankful heart leads to gratitude. It leads to a life of heartfelt joy in Jesus. And Paul continues to come back to this idea of thankfulness. And it seems that thankfulness is a way in which we can be filled with the Spirit. It seems that if we desire to be a people who are under the influence of the Spirit that in making the best use of our time and understanding the will of the Lord, then it seems that, that Paul is saying here that we should begin with thanksgiving and maybe develop a rhythm in our lives for it that's more than one holiday a year. Thanksgiving. You know, I think a lot of times when it comes to the Holy Spirit and when it comes to Thanksgiving, I think a lot of us blame our personalities. And I think a lot of us blame our, our circumstances. And we just kind of have this attitude that we are either a thankful person or we're not. Or they're just a thankful person. Man, they're just always happy and kind. I just wish I could be more like them. And when it comes to the Spirit, I think we oftentimes think that the Spirit is just there to kind of help us with the stuff that we're already good at. Like, oh, I think I'm pretty good at this. Maybe the Spirit will empower me. But this last week, God's really been, and it's been more than this last week, God's really been doing a work in my own heart. And I've been praying, God, would you make me a person who is thankful? 
You know the Spirit is at work in your heart when you realize, I'm usually pretty sarcastic and I'm usually pretty critical, but you know what? I'm actually thankful and joyful, and that's really not like me, so that's the Spirit. And I think that we need to pray that God, through His Spirit, would empower us to actually do what we're not good at doing. And so if you say, I'm really sarcastic all the time. I make way too many jokes. I'm really cynical. I see the glass not as half full. It's like nine-tenths empty. Then we need the Spirit. And we need the Spirit to empower us. I'll tell you how powerful it can be in your life. Simple example. I had a long run yesterday. I woke up late. Andrew's like virtually doing everything outside in my driveway except honking his horn at 5.30 in the morning. And I'm just like snoozing. And I wake up and I know I've got hours of running ahead of me because we're training for St. Jude Marathon. And, and I could either go, why did this have to happen? Now I have to go run by myself. But I've been praying about this thankfulness thing because I'm really not good at it. And I said, I didn't say it, the Spirit said it. Hey, maybe God doesn't want you to run with Ben and Andrew, even though you're really looking forward to that. Maybe God wants you to go run with me. And I just went on a little run for a few hours with God. And he did some really cool stuff in my heart. Like you might have seen a really weird dude running down Union at one point, And God was just like bringing these old hymns and these old songs that we used to sing like back at the church at Brook Hills when I was in college and man I am like I'm singing while I'm running that's joy and that's not Brad that is not me and I, I God changes our attitude when we choose to look at our circumstances and to say Man, this might really stink, but maybe God could even use it for some good. Maybe God could be up to something in the midst of what seems like really bad for me. I want to invite uh, our musicians to, to come back and those who are serving communion to come and join us. And uh, I, I want to end today... Um, you can throw that scripture back up that you had just a second ago. I think it's really appropriate that we would honor a great pastor this week, Eugene Peterson. He passed away, and um, he will be forever missed by pastors who knew him. And he wrote this little, um, this little book called The Message, and it's, um, it's the Bible in everyday language. And I was thinking about, this is one of his famous passages from the message and it comes from Romans 12 in verses uh, 1 and 2 and I just I want to read it to you it does a great job of summing up what we've been talking about today it's on the screen so here's what I want you to do God helping you take your everyday ordinary life your sleeping eating going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. 
Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Can't think of a better summary of what Paul's been talking about in Ephesians today. As you prepare to come to the Lord's table, we invite everyone who's a follower of Jesus. And as you come and remember his body broken for us and his blood poured out for you, may we be a people who live with an attitude of thankfulness, redeeming the time, knowing the Lord's will, even in our lives. Let us pray. Father, if not for Jesus, where would we be? But because of Jesus, oh, what hope we have. God, may you fill us in such a way. You filled us with your spirit. God, may we be aware of your presence in such a way. May you fill us with the type of faith that would allow us in the midst of the hardest of circumstances that God, that we would come to believe that you are at work and that you can bring heartfelt joy and that God, you are doing something that is far bigger than anything that we could ask for or imagine on our own. Father, may we be a people this day who are obedient to all that you call us to do. Thank you for the joy that comes in knowing Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.